Welcome to the Human Experience Podcast, the only podcast designed to fuse your left and right brain hemispheres and feed it the most entertaining and mentally engaging topics on the planet. As we approach our ascent, please make sure your frontal, temporal and occipital lobes are in their full upright position. As you take your seat of consciousness, relax your senses and allow us to take you on a journey. We are the Intimate Strangers. Thank you for listening. What's up, folks? Here is another episode of The Human Experience. This is Mr. Rick Simpson. If you have not checked out Mr. Simpson's story, you really need to pick up a copy of his book. It is an incredibly compelling story. And after reading it, I had to have him on the show. When you observe the sheer absurdity of the powers that be, it should make you wonder why these pharmaceutical companies have owned the landscape of modern Western medicine for so long. You can hear the passion in Mr. Simpson's voice and it should tell you that sometimes you just have to do what you believe is the right thing. Please make sure that you subscribe to us on YouTube. Give us a like on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at The Human XP. The human experience is occupying legendary status as we speak to my guest, Mr. Rick Simpson. Rick, it's a pleasure, sir. Welcome to HXP. Uh, very happy to be with you, Xavier. And uh, I mean, we're just trying to get the message out to people, you know, so they can learn the truth about all of this. And they'll learn the fact that in re- indeed, we all have a natural right to grow and use the cannabis plant to heal ourselves. And no one has the right to prevent us from doing so. So this is the message I'm trying to get out to people and, and the simplicity, you know, involved in creating these extracts. Uh, there's nothing to it, you know, and, and once you, you know, once you've worked with these extracts for a very short time, you basically become your own doctor. I mean, I, I'm not saying we don't need doctors, but, uh, you know, in so many instances where we would have to go to a doctor for a burn or an infection or anything of that nature, then, you know, we can just take the oil ourselves or even to treat, you know, serious conditions like internal cancers. It's the safest medicine on the planet. You know, no one has ever died from the use of cannabis. So I, I think it's just totally ridiculous that the governments of today are still, you know, trying to prevent, you know, trying to prevent its free use. It's, you know, it's just outrageous. So uh, I think this, you know, all this corruption has to come to an end. Well, I, I agree with you completely. Let's Let's back up a little bit. Where... So you were you were born in Canada? Yes, I was born just uh, outside of Spring Hill, Nova Scotia. You know, it's right out on the east coast of Canada. And I mean, what would you what would you call yourself? Are you a freedom fighter, or are you just kind of trying to create awareness? <laughs> or I mean, what would you regard yourself as? I truly, I regard myself as just being the messenger. I mean, I, I discovered the healing power of these extracts. Uh, you know, many years ago, and I went to all the right people, you know, the Canadian Cancer Society, you know, all these TV shows, the government parties. I went to two federal ministers of health, Dr. David Suzuki. Uh, we even went to the United Nations, you know, and nobody would do a thing. They don't want this out. They don't want the public to know about this. So when I seen what was happening, I, I went public with this case. I took the information to the public. And right. since that time, there's been a lot of people that have been helped. 
Yeah, you were diagnosed with uh, basal cell carcinoma, skin cancer, right? Well, I was taking UL originally. You see, I I suffered a severe head injury uh, at work in 1997. Uh, I worked in a hospital, and I suffered this severe head injury, which left me with post-concussion syndrome. Of course, it was nine months later before I was finally diagnosed. But, uh, you know, after uh, about a year after I was injured, I watched this episode of The Nature of Things with Dr. David Suzuki. And, and uh, it was called Reefer Madness 2. And it, it was showing people that were smoking cannabis and it was having good effects for their medical, you know, issues. And, I mean, I was taking all these chemicals and pills from, the, you know, the medical system but they were doing, you know, they were doing me no good. It was actually making me, you know, making me much worse. So uh, up until that point, I had never thought I had smoked cannabis, you know, before I was injured. But I never looked at it like it being a medicine. So you know, uh, then I, uh, you know, I, I, I went out and I did get some cannabis, and uh, it actually worked better than anything the doctors were providing. And I went back and I asked the doctors because you know, in Canada, we had the medical marijuana access program already in place. So I wanted the right to be able to use this medication, you know, legally. But every doctor I went to, same thing, you know, oh, it's bad for the lungs, it's still under study, and all of this nonsense. <laughs> you know, I mean, this plan has been used for 5,000 years in medicine. How much more study do we need? You know, it's totally ridiculous. But, I mean, I, you know, I didn't understand at the time, you know, the potency of this medication, and... uh I mean, all I knew is that smoking cannabis actually gave me a little bit more sleep than any of the medications they were giving me. Right. But by, by 1999, I was getting very desperate. In fact, I was getting suicidal from the effects of some of these medications they had me on. And uh, so it crossed my mind, you know, rather than commit suicide, <laughs> what would happen if I actually made the essential oil, you know, from the cannabis plant and ingested the oil as opposed to smoking, you know, the, the plant material? Right. So I went to my doctor's office in 99 and asked him about this. And uh, when, I, when I mentioned, you know, I said, you know, the same thing, like, you know, ingesting the oil instead of smoking the plant material, he, he got a very strange look on his face when I said that. And, but he did admit, he said, this would be a much more medicinal way to use this. But still, they wouldn't, they wouldn't provide me with a prescription. So, uh, you know, I mean, I went home and uh, out of desperation, I did. I, I made the first oil in, in 1999, but I'm ashamed to say almost, it was almost three years later before I actually was put in the position where I was forced to use it, you know, because, you know, this is a strong concentrate, and where they had given me all these warnings about all these dangers, you know, I was literally afraid to take this oil because I, I or extract, because, you know, I knew it would be very sedative, but I didn't know what else it would do. So, you know, I was following the doctor's orders as usual. And then in 2000, late 2001, the doctor called me to his office one day and he said, there's nothing more we can do for you. We've given you all these, everything we have at our disposal. Well, I mean, by that time, the effects of these medications had such a, a horrible effect on my thinking abilities that I could hardly even remember my own name. And, you know, this is what these chemicals and pills do to you. Yeah. So, uh, again, when he said that, I asked, I asked him, again, for a prescription. And of course, again, I was refused. So, having no, nowhere else to turn, I, I went home and I started ingesting these oils, you know, in the evening. And as I increased the dosage, all of a sudden, I started getting, you know, eight, ten hours sleep. 
That's exactly what I needed. So just to so just to be clear, the oil that you created is called Rick Simpson oil, and it's and it's an extremely potent uh, version of of this concentrated cannabis re- resin. How long did it take you to devise this this method? How did how did you come about this? I mean, did you experiment or how did you develop this oil? Well, uh, see, I I grew some cannabis myself before I was injured on a small scale, you know, just to supply myself. And uh, so one year, I think it was around 1993, I got this book called Cannabis Alchemy. And, uh, you know, it was supposed to tell you how to make extracts and all of this. And and to some degree it does, but, you know, and I I followed all their instructions and uh, the oils that I produced were just garbage. But you see, I'm a power engineer by trade. You know, I've worked in the med- around the medical system for 25 years, you know, on their uh, distilling equipment and all kinds of different uh, medical equipment. So when I was actually making the oil the first time, uh, actually, I ruined a, a kilo of the highest quality bud you can imagine, you know, trying to do this. And, uh, you know, and like I said, the oil that resulted was, was worthless. So that, that kind of took me, you know, it kind of put uh, making the oil on the back burner. But uh, while I was doing it, you know, in my own mind, I thought, well, what if you did it this way? And, you know, and I was changing things around in my own head, but I never really thought much more about it, you know. And then a few or three or four years later, then I get injured. And then in 1999, I was in the position where I had to produce this oil. Mm-hmm. So I just followed my own, the own, my own methods that I had dreamt up in my head. And I have to say, the first time I produced it, the oil came out perfect. <laughs> hmm. I mean, it, it really does seem to be this sort of wonder medicine. It, it creates, I mean, it cures a, a wide range of, of mal, uh, maladies uh, from cancer to depression. What, what is something that you would regard as the most remarkable cure that you yourself have witnessed? Oh my God! There, there's so many of them, Xavier. I mean, uh, well, for one thing, I've, from what I'm, I'm gathering, I mean, this is the first substance or first medication they've ever found that's very effective in the treatment, you know, of flesh-eating disease. It's also very effective for AIDS, multiple sclerosis, you know, all of these different types of serious cancers. You know, it it, it just goes on and on. But I mean, I literally I've seen this oil take people right off their deathbeds. In fact, in one case. One gentleman was only given 24 hours to live, and his son gave him the oil, went right at the hospital, and he asked the doctor, he said, you know, could you give this to my father, and the doctor refused. So he walked in, and he gave the fa- his father, well, his father, they had given him chemo, and he was 82 years old, and he had swelled up like a balloon. His lungs were all full of fluid. You know, he was a dying man, but he put a small, do- or not a small dose, a big dose of this oil, because, I mean, it really doesn't harm you. And he put it on a little piece of cracker, and he fed it to his father. And uh, so he left his two brothers at the hospital on the death watch, and he went home. And when he came in the next morning, his father was sleeping, was sleeping like a log. And uh, his brothers told him that, he, that within about 45 minutes after he had left, the, the father's breathing had gone back to normal. You know, before he was doing the, <laughs> you know, because they can't, you know, when your lungs are full of fluid, you cannot breathe. And uh, so he was breathing, went back to normal, and then about halfway during the night, or through the night, you know, his vital signs had been dropping. And then all of a sudden, the vital signs stabilized. 
And uh, when he arrived back at the hospital, I mean, the doctors tried to tell him that, you know, this often happens just before they pass away. But he knew enough about this oil and he knew enough about doctors by that time. Uh, he just turned to his mother and he said, you know, if you want to save dad's life, we got to get him out of this hospital. So they signed him out of the hospital. And I mean, this man had been given 24 hours to live. They signed him out of the hospital. Uh, he, this gentleman took, you know, took his father home. He took him off all of the, uh, he, the, his father had been taking, I think it was around 24 to 30 pills a day. Within a month, he had him off all the pharmaceuticals. They were no longer required. His father had also been a diabetic for 35 years. And after six weeks on the oil, he no longer required insulin. And at the end of 90 days, his lung cancer was gone and he was healed. It was that simple. So I think cases like that are very, very dramatic. Hmm. Wow. I mean, you know, it. it's amazing how rigged the system seems. And it's it seems like a no-brainer to use this medicine to treat these these illnesses. I mean... What is your what is your advice to someone who may be living with with illness and looking for a treatment such as this, but is being stonewalled by our current system? Well, I mean, everything that, that our current governments are doing to prevent the use of this, it's all based in corruption. These laws, these regulations, they're all put in place with corruption. There, there's not a shred of truth to any of the propaganda that we were fed, you know, and, and like I said, it states right in the, in the Christian Bible that we as humans have the right to use these plants. You know, and that's God's law. So, and as I understand it, no man-made law can supersede the laws which God himself has put in place. So these courts have no right to be doing what they're doing, and they have no right to tell us that we can't use cannabis to heal ourselves because it's our bodies. And we're the ones that can, you know, we're the only ones that can determine what we want to use as a medicine. So how dare they stand in our path? And uh, what I, I tell people openly, uh, you know, if I was sick myself or I had a sick and dying or, or someone I knew was sick and dying, you know, damn the laws. Well, grow the cannabis, make the extracts and heal these people. You know, just because our system is insane doesn't mean that, that you have to behave in the way they wish you to behave. And I, and I think I, in the end, this is what's happening now uh, I mean, I, I did a radio show in England here quite some time ago, and uh, the announcer, he said, I, I love the way he expressed it. He said, you know, he said, what you've done, he said, you've lit 10,000 fires all over this planet. And he said, soon those fires are going to consume all the corruption that ever stood, you know, in the way, in the path of the cannabis hemp plant. Uh, this, this is the irony in this. The same plant that all of these mega-rich individuals who actually control our governments, you know, they stand in the background, but, you know, they also control the pharmaceutical industry and pretty well everything else in our lives. You know, so, you know, there's the real problem. Our governments are not working for us. They're working for the big money. And, I mean, it's like I said, to any governments, really, any government, their first interest should be the health and welfare of their own people. But instead, they go by, oh, you know, we have an agreement with the United Nations uh, or we have an agreement with the EU. So, you know, we can't proceed with this, you know, but that's, you know, this is just pen and ink. This is man-made nonsense is all it is. You know, and it's like I said, we have the right to grow this and use it medicinally. And if I, you know, knew someone that I cared about, this is exactly what I would advise. This is what I do myself. And this is what I advise everyone else to do. You know, they can't put us all in jail. This is just total insanity. Yeah. 
You know, I I agree with you, and I I enjoyed your book, and in a couple in a few chapters, you were raided by the police over in Canada. I mean, yeah. how many how many times how many encounters did you have with the police there? Uh, I was raided in two thousand and three, two thousand and five, two thousand and six, and then again in two thousand and nine while I was attending the Cannabis Cup in Amsterdam. Uh, you know, I mean, I went through, uh, <laughs> believe me, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, uh, they gave me a great deal of grief and, and just dealing with them, I seen how corrupted and controlled they were. You know, they're, they're really just government thugs. You know, they're going around enforcing laws that really don't even exist. And, you know, they're arresting people like me. I mean, in, in 2003, they took the crop, but I wasn't charged. In 2005, I made it openly known what I was doing. I, I told the police openly, you know, I'm growing in my backyard for God's sakes. And, you know, I brought them evidence, you know, uh, videotapes of meetings we'd had with, you know, patients speaking about what the oil had done for them. And I told them, I said, you know, that the, there's local politicians that should be charged with criminal negligence causing death. And I also asked them for any material, any high quality bud material that they confiscate from drug dealers. I asked that it be given to me so I could produce more medicine. And then three months later, that same RCMP detachment that I'd taken the information to, they come and raid me. And that year I, I was charged with uh, cultivation, trafficking, and possession. Well, I, I had to cultivate the plants. I mean, I was giving the medicine away for nothing. So I was just growing the plants and giving the medicine away. And, I mean, you have to possess the plants to make the medicine, so that covers the possession and cultivation. And as for trafficking, if you look up the definition of trafficking in the, in the dictionary, it says the exchange of goods for monetary gain. Well, I didn't gain anything. You know, uh, they, they literally put me through hell. I, I went through uh, a charter challenge. Uh, you know, what happened during that was just totally outrageous. Uh, you know, they denied, you know, my right to use this, even though it states in the Charter of Rights and Freedoms in Canada that you have the right to life. But then when I challenged them, I found that you only had that right as long as you were doing, willing to do or to take the medications that these people were forcing on you. Right. You're not allowed to take something natural. You know, it, it just blew my mind. And uh, so then I went into the Supreme Court of Nova Scotia, uh, you know, before a jury. I had 10 patients. And six doctors ready to testify. Uh, two of these patients had been cured with terminal cancers. Um, I also had a mountain. I had a whole box full of scientific evidence. They wouldn't let me. Enter, they wouldn't let the patients be put on the stand because you're not allowed to have a medical argument. And they wouldn't let the scientific evidence be introduced. But so in the end, the only one that could testify on my behalf was me. And I spent about two hours on the on the stand myself explaining this all to the jury. And the comedy of this, I mean, the jury, there was, there was members of that jury that I had treated members of their families and healed them for nothing. So I didn't think that there was any possible way that I could be found guilty of anything. And um, so when we had our closing arguments, um, you know, the, the jury was excused. And uh, so we left the, the courthouse. And then three hours later, I was called right back. So we go back to the courthouse and... When I stood up or when I entered the courtroom, uh, Monica McQueen, the, the, the prosecutor from the Justice Department, the one who had been doing all the talking during my charter challenge and also during the Supreme Court case, she was present. 
But the Crown Prosecutor, Doug Shatford, and he had been be, sitting right beside her through all of these proceedings, he wasn't there. So I was kind of wondering what was happening, and then four or five minutes later, Shatford came in and he sat down. And then about a minute later, the jury came in. And when I stood up, I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, guilty, guilty, guilty. And I'm, I looked at these people, I said, what's wrong with you people? I said, guilty of what, healing people? Is that a crime in Canada? And then the judge, he jumped in, and I just looked at the judge, and I told him point blank right there. I said, listen, pal, you, you better lock me up right now, because the minute I get out of here, I'm going right back to distributing these extracts. The judge never said a word, never told me not to. You know, I left the courthouse that day, and that's really what I did right until the sentencing. But, uh, but the very next day, after I was found guilty, this same uh, woman that had been, uh, she, she had been present in the audience that day, and uh, she called me up and she said that she had seen Doug Shatford exit the jury room just a minute before the jury came in with my verdict. You know, and, and I told her, I said, you know, dear, this is, this is a serious charge. That's jury tampering. And uh, she, I told her, I said, go back to the courthouse. Make sure what door you've seen. And go right back to the same seat. This is what she did. And she told me, she said, from where I was sitting, there was only one doorway that's visible. And that's the jury room door, and that's the room, uh, the, the same room that I seen Doug Shatford exit from. We called the judge. He was notified about all this. About two weeks later, they, uh, they called us to Amherst. I didn't know what was I thought they were just going to have a meeting. So uh, this lady's name was Margaret DeWire and her husband, Rick. They came with me, and we walked into the courtroom, and there was Judge Cashione sitting on the bench. And here was the two prosecutors. And, uh, and a pasty-faced lawyer from Halifax was rep representing them. And the first thing that judge said when we walked in, he looked at uh, Mrs. Dwyer, Margaret, and he said, if we find anything you say here today to be untrue, you could be facing 14 years in prison. And she just, I mean, Margaret Dwyer is a rock. And uh, she just looked at him and she said, look, I'm simply here to tell the truth. So she took the stand. That lawyer that was representing the prosecutors Oh, I mean, he tried everything he could do, you know, to, to disprove what she was saying. But this woman was simply telling the truth. At one point, he even said, you know, like, well, the only reason you're doing this is because if Mr. Simpson goes to jail, then you'll lose your supplier. And she literally laughed right in his face. You know, she said, do you actually believe that Rick Simpson is the only person in Canada that grows cannabis? <laughs> you know, she just made a fool of him. So after about a half an hour or so on the stand, they excused her because they couldn't disprove a word of it. And uh, then it was my turn. So I called Doug Shatford, the Crown Prosecutor, to the stand. You see, the local growers uh, and dealers in my area, I had got to know all of these people, you know, through my activities. Mm -hmm. And two of these dealers had told me that Doug Shatford himself, you know, the Crown Prosecutor, had purchased marijuana or cannabis from them. So we got Shatford on the stand. And I, I said, uh, could, could you describe your use of cannabis to the court, sir? Oh, my God. Like, I mean, his face got as red as a tomato. He started sputtering and spitting. And then the judge jumped right in. Oh, well, that line of questioning will not be tolerated. And I said, well, they, you know, they questioned Margaret, you know, Margaret Dwyer. They asked her about her use. Why can't I ask him? Yeah. But, you know, they, they stood in the way of everything. And in the end, the judge said, I think this is just some, although they never disproved a thing that Margaret had said, and she certainly never went to jail over it, 
But he said that he thought that he felt that this was just something that Mrs. Dwyer and I had cooked up to derail my sentencing. Mm-hmm. But at my sentencing, the same judge, he comes right out and says, he said, you know, under different circumstances, Mr. Simpson would be winning awards for his work. But this is a court of law and we don't give out awards here. You know, the whole damn trial was fixed. And then he, he said, uh, he said, in my 34 years in the legal system, I've never seen a case like this. There was no criminal intent, you know. So what was I doing in their stupid court system? Wow. And then even though the judge would not allow the patients to testify and he would not allow the scientific evidence to be introduced, the judge came right out and said it. He said the scientific evidence does exist to back up everything that Mr. Simpson is saying. And he also has this large body of evidence, you know, from patients who also back his position. Well, there, we, you know, we had just proved it. You know, we should have cried out for joy. Look, we found the medicine of our damn dreams. Right. But the case, the case went on like it meant nothing. You know, and, and I, I was facing 12 years in jail. I mean, that's what they could have done. But instead, they gave me a $2,000 fine. I wasn't even put on probation. They gave me a $2,000 fine and a gun restriction. And the gun restriction comes automatically because there was no firearms involved in any of the raids that the RCMP conducted other than the ones that they were waving around. And, uh, but automatically, if you're found guilty of trafficking, that comes with a gun restriction. You know, wow. uh, if you're looking for justice, I'll tell you one thing. You're never going to find it in Canada. <laughs> well, you know, I'd really like to, anyone that is listening to us speak right now just to step back and look at this. And, I mean, it's it's a plant. We're talking about a plant. It grows naturally in the ground. So, I mean, I mean, Rick, you're, I love your passion and your commitment to this. Is, has there been someone in your life that you would say influenced your work? Well, definitely. I mean, my, I, for one thing, I had wonderful parents and they were very open-minded and uh, that helped a great deal in, I think, in raising me properly. But I believe the man that had the most impact on my life, uh, you know, before Jack Hare died, I, I, I came to know Jack. We spent hundreds of hours on the phone talking to each other, and uh, he, he was just an amazing man. Uh, in fact, it was Jack Hare himself that started calling this oil the Rick Simpson oil. I was actually mad about it. And I, when Jack said this, I said, Jack, why are you attaching my name to this? It's hemp oil. <laughs> and he said, well, aren't you Rick Simpson? You couldn't argue with Jack Hare. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and then it just caught on from there. And now my name is synonymous, you know, Rick Simpson oil or RSO. And that that term is actually synonymous with the highest, most medicinal, you know, grade benefits or uh, grade extracts possible. You know, that the best of, you know, the best of cannabis medicine. That's what that term actually represents now. And, uh, you know, now everyone is using it. You know, I, I, I had named Phoenix Tears, but... <laughs> Uh, in the beginning, but that that term has almost become obsolete now. You you've written a couple warnings on your website about people selling it as Rick Rick Simpson oil, and they link it to you when in fact it's not linked to you. You advise people to make the oil themselves. So yes. has that been infuriating? I mean, has that has that uh, made you well, angry? Well, they're very angry, but the, I mean, there's little or nothing you can do about it. There's no policing of the internet. I mean, the only website that I'm connected with is my own website, and that's phoenixtears.ca. I do have my own official Facebook page, but I mean, if you go up on the internet, you'll see all kinds of pages about me, 
and I'm not connected with any of these people. Uh, I have no affiliation with any foundations or drug companies. You know, they're, they're, so I, I have no connection with any of these people. But yet, you know, they'll see what they're doing. They're using my name to sell their substandard oils in many cases. And, I, you know, I, I hate it in a way because there are people, there are some suppliers out there that are actually trying to supply these patients with the highest quality oils possible. But for every one you find like that, you find 10 that are just trying to make money off it. You know, so they supply low-grade extracts at very big prices, and they even have the nerve to say that in many cases that they're directly affiliated with me or I, I am working with them. You know, this is nothing but lies. And I've, I've told, openly told the public, you know, about this. Uh, you know, I haven't been able to supply oils since 2009, you know, because since that time I've been traveling from country to country, you know, spreading the word about this. And I can't even stay in any one country long enough, you know, to, to grow a crop. So, uh, you know, it's impossible for me. And it was never my intention to supply the world anyway. My intention was just to show people, and that's what we did when I put up the phoenixtears.ca website in 2004. We told the whole world, you know, the, the, the type of cannabis you need, the medicinal sleepy sedative indica strains. You know, we told them the dosage instructions. We told them how to make the oils or the extracts. And uh, then in 2008, we brought out Run From The Cure, you know, produced by Christian Lorette. That's been viewed by hundreds of millions now worldwide. Uh, that documentary has had a great deal of impact. And, uh, but it just never happened. I, I thought, you know, myself, when I, when I witnessed the healing power of these extracts with my own eyes, I, I thought like, you know, a year, two years at the most, they have to look into this and they have to legalize it. But here it is 12 and a half years later. And we're still running around in circles, although doors are opening, you know, in, in many different countries now and states are legalizing the medicinal use. But the trouble is, none of these governments are saying why. You know, I mean, the, the hemp movement or cannabis movement, they've been going around for decades blowing smoke in people's faces. That never got it. You know, that never got the cause anywhere. You know, it's the healing power of these extracts that are attracting all the attention. And that's the reason cannabis is now being legalized in so many different countries and I would say within the next year, year and a half, two years, every state in America, is, you know, will be legal. They're, they're, I believe there's 23 states. And then Washington, D.C. itself, they've even legalized the recreational use <laughs> along with the medicinal use. So, I mean, there's no holding this back. But it really was United States. Uh, it was the United States government that, for the most part, that really were responsible because, like in 1975, when, when the Medical School of Virginia study proved that the, the cannabinoids like THC were actually killing cancer cells, the American government had that study shut down. And then Gerald Ford went out to all the universities in the U.S. that had been doing research in cannabis and confiscated much, as much of this research as possible. And then he put it all back in the hands of the pharmaceutical industry. You know, it's, it's, this has been a political football. I mean, and I think actually Richard Nixon, he was even worse. I mean, when he took power, he formed uh, what they called the, the Schaefer Commission to get to the bottom, you know, of this cannabis issue. Well, the, the Schaefer Commission came back and told him to legalize this plant once more and that they didn't even consider this plant to be a narcotic. What did Nixon do? He turned around and took the same report that he himself had ordered and threw it in a trash can. And then a couple years later, he starts his war on drugs. And what, do they, and what drug do they focus on? The cannabis plant. 
the very same plant that the Schaefer Commission had told him to make legal. You know, I mean, you talk about deception. So, I mean, this proves for a fact that the American government had been, they had been hiding the truth from their own people and the rest of the world for over 40 years now. Hooray for the American government. It's amazing. I mean, I, I just, you know, it's, it's, it, it leaves you for a loss of words at how much, you know, is involved to trick the American people worldwide, actually. I mean, so Rick, I mean, getting back to your story and your success with this, it, is there any single lesson through everything that you've been through and everything that you've had to endure? Is there any single thing that you've learned that you can say that you, that you learned that is, that is carried with you? Well, one of the main things I learned, I mean, I used to put a lot of trust in education. I used to put a lot of trust in researchers, you know, and people like that, because, you know, we look at these people as being the experts. But all of the experts that were involved with cannabis research, they knew about the Medical School of Virginia study. But yet, you know, they sat there, they quietly took their research grants, and they kept their mouth shut. Now, at first, I was very enraged with these people. Because, you know, why was it left to someone like me to have to bring this to the public's attention? It should have been them. But then I finally realized that, you know, there's been many instances where, you know, great people have tried to do what's right. They've, they've stepped up, you know, and made, the, you know, made it known to the public. And the minute they did that, then basically their careers were ruined and they were ostracized from their own professions. Now, they, they literally destroy the careers of these people. So when you look at it that way, you know, it's understandable. But uh, the governments of today, I mean, I'm not blaming the governments of today for the crimes that governments, of, you know, of the past have committed against us. But for God's sakes, with the body of evidence that now exists, you know, look at, look at YouTube. Hundreds and hundreds of people with all of these documented medical conditions, suddenly they're well. You know, could it be the cannabis extracts that they said that they had used? But yet the governments say, ignore that. You know, like, ignore it. Why ignore it? You know, we need more research. We need more people in white coats. You know, what we need now is some common sense. And that common sense should uh, bring us together and make us stand as one and tell these damn governments that we've had more than enough of their nonsense. And if they're not willing to represent us properly, then goodbye. You know, I mean, uh, I, I, it's the same thing in Canada. You can't trust these political parties. You know, like the, in Canada, we have the Liberals, the Conservatives, the NDP, the Green Party. There, there's even a marijuana party. And, uh, I mean, I've contacted most of these parties, and they're all corrupted right to the core. It doesn't make any difference who gets elected. And it's the same damn thing in the U.S. You know, who's going to be, a Democrat or a Republican? Well, it doesn't really matter. Because whoever goes in there as president, he's not going to rep represent you properly. And I think people like George W. Bush and Barack Obama have proved that. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, Rick, what I mean, we're approaching the end here. But I mean, what, in your opinion, can people do to help change the minds of, of the people in authority that are regulating the use of cannabis? Well, you know what? I mean, what people have to realize is that the real power in any country is the people. And if we unite and with one voice, you know, tell our governments we've had enough of this and, you know, and demand that they, you know, they, they do the right thing and repeal all of these absurd laws, throw them in a trash can where they belong. You know, those who are in authority will have to start listening if enough of us do this. And I honestly believe, brother, that 
if we don't do this in the near future, I mean, our, our planet, you know, these rich industrialists are poisoning our planet at such an alarming rate. And that is compromising the, you know, our immune systems because we were not designed to live in a poisoned environment. So, I mean, I just look at it as just common sense. We, we have to stand, we have to put a stop to these horrible industries that are killing the planet and basically all, all creatures that exist on this planet. And we have to start using earth-friendly hemp, you know, cannabis. Cannabis is the answer. In, you know, in Jack Hare's wonderful documentary, uh, Emperor of Hemp, uh, that was put out in 1999, towards the end in that documentary, Jack Hare comes out and he states, he said, I, I don't know what will save the world, but I do know that cannabis is the only thing that can. And no truer words were ever spoken. They're spoken. I mean, you can produce over 50,000 different things from this plant today. You know, it can supply, it can put an end to starvation because, you know, the seeds are some of the greatest food on earth. We can supply our energy needs. We can, we can make so many different products and we can convert these harmful industries that we have today into hemp-based industries. And really what we should, we should be living in a hemp-based economy. You know, this business of fossil fuels, you know, like, oh, we're so alarmed, the, the greenhouse effect, you know, CO2 levels are going through the roof. Well, why is that? Could it be because we're digging up fossil fuels that contain high levels of CO2, which have been buried for hundreds of thousands or millions of years? And then when we burn these fuels, all that CO2 is released into the environment. But when you grow cannabis as a fuel or food supply or anything, when you grow cannabis, it takes in CO2 and it gives off fresh air. And then at the end of the cycle, after you've taken the seeds and everything from it, and you turn it back, you can turn it into a fuel. A very, uh, believe me, like nowadays with these new enzyme processes they have, you can produce as much as 1,800 gallons of ethanol off of one little acre of hemp. Now that, that's enough to run your car, heat your home, and you'd have a few hundred gallons left to sell if you wished. You'd be energy independent, you know, and uh, see, this is what they don't want. And uh, the other thing, too, with cannabis, and especially with these extracts, you know, when sometimes even the smoking aspect, you know, people that smoke it, they start questioning. And this is another thing the government's afraid of, because we question, you know, what's holding this together? You know, what's wrong in our world? And then all of a sudden, when you start doing a, you start doing a little simple research on the Internet, like I did, all you have to do is connect the dots, and the picture becomes totally clear. I mean, they call people like me, you know, conspiracy nuts and all that. Well, I'm telling you right now, brother, if I feel sorry for anyone who cannot see the same thing that I see. I mean, it is one big conspiracy. Governments are working against us. Everything they control is working against us. And like I said, the big money, Rockefellers, Rothschilds, people like that, they're the ones who are really running our earth. And that one family, the Rothschilds, from what I understand, that one family is it, it has actually, actually has, has assets of over $500 trillion. They're in control of over half the money on this planet. Now, who's running the show? Is it the governments or these big money interests? And for the last 200 years, this is a well-known fact, too. The Rothschild banking concerns and others have funded every major conflict on this planet. And they didn't fund just one side. They funded both sides. So all of these soldiers that are going off to war and coming back with post-traumatic stress disorder or wounded or killed, 
You know, I mean, these people are suffering and dying for nothing. You're fighting for these big industrialists so they can have more wealth and power. None of these wars we're fighting are based in, on right and wrong. It's just all based on money. And I don't think that's a very good reason to lose your life. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely, sir. Um, is, there, is there anything that I, I could have asked you tonight that I, that I didn't? Well, I suppose I should tell the public. I mean, if you go to my website, phoenixtears.ca, I do have two books uh, available. Uh, Rick Simpson, or excuse me, Phoenix Tears, the Rick Simpson story, that my first book, and then Phoenix Tears, Rick Simpson Oil, Nature's Answer for Cancer, and they're both available, you know, on the on my website in ebook versions, and you can also get the ebook versions through Amazon, uh, Amazon Kindle, and um, then uh, here a few months ago, about three months ago, I actually got the first my first book in print. So that's also available on my website. And, you know, it's the funding from these books that allow me to carry on with this crusade, you know, and I hope that it'll help fund my research in the future. So, uh, you know, please support this cause. Uh, you know, I mean, there's my ebooks are all over the place on the Internet for nothing. You know, I mean, 20 minutes after I put it out as an ebook, uh, I think it was up on Torrent. So, uh, you know, these people are, you know, I do have the copyright on these books myself. But these people have no regard for copyright laws. And if you, you know, encounter my books available in other places, then you'll know that, you know, really they're being put there illegally. So uh, all I'm asking is, you know, please support what I'm doing. And, you know, and let, like I said, let's unite and let's do something rational for our own future. I mean, you know, I'm back in 2003, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, I was so brave to go ahead and do this and you know, I mean, the bottom line was when I seen the healing power of these extracts, I, you know, I have three children myself and I have three grandchildren. And I realized that if, if these extracts are not available, my own children don't really have a future and neither does anyone else's. So that's the reason I took on this struggle. And, you know, I'm fighting for everyone's, you know, free right to go out and grow this plant, especially for medicinal purposes. But I think we should have the freedom to use this plant in any way we choose. Because, you know, we, we need to do like Jack Harris says, you know, grow this plant everywhere and use it in every conceivable way to make our earth better. And then we have our hemp-based economy, and then we would, we, we would start to be able to lead a sensible way of life. I really, truly appreciate your time, sir. And uh, we will definitely make all those links available when we post this and... Thanks so much for being here. I really enjoyed it, brother. And anytime you'd like me to come back and talk some more, I'd be more than happy to. Absolutely. This is The Human Experience, and we will catch you guys next time.